You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Matthew chapter 28, and uh, we're going to be finishing up. Um, the la- two weeks ago I th- was the last time that we were uh, in um, in Matthew 28 regarding the church. We've been talking about on Wednesday nights. We've been in a series uh, that I'm calling I'm calling it Why Baptist, but it really it's a study on the doctrine that we hold to. And in in it really it, it's not even as much about the fact that we're Baptists as it is that we just we just believe the Bible. And we are looking into the Bible and we, we try to make sure that our doctrine is established not on our preferences, not on our traditions, but on God's word alone. And that's what we are striving for. And so we've been looking, it's been a, it really is a simple look at Bible doctrine. And in Wednesday nights, I know if you'll even forgive the, this a little bit because uh, Wednesday nights, um, it feels like more like a Bible study, more, more like a teaching time. But, but we really, many churches call it a Bible study on Wednesday night. And um, what, what I'm trying to do is present it in a, in a methodical way, just teaching through some of it, and then trying then at the end to make it application because I'm a preacher and that's what I do. I want to make sure that it's not just head knowledge, that you can actually take what you've learned and you go out and do something with it. And um, so this, to this point, we've been talking about the church, the local New Testament church, the autonomy of, of the local church, the autonomy um, is, is self-governing, the self-governance of the local church. That's, that's what we're going to be looking at more tonight. But based on scriptures in the study that we've talked about so far, uh, we looked at the, the definition of the word ecclesia, which is the Greek word from which we get church or assembly. And we've come up with this definition that the New Testament church is a local visible assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. And that's what a local New Testament, an authentic local New Testament church is. And since ecclesia means an assembly, that also means that a church is local, meaning it's assembled. And that you say, well, that just makes sense because of the definition. And yet many believe that the church is invisible. And so we believe it's local, we believe a church is visible, uh, we believe that it's organized and that the purpose of the local church is to carry out the Great Commission. We believe that it's constituted and that it's exclusive in its membership, meaning that uh, we're not trying to keep anybody out, but in order to be the, uh, a member of a local New Testament church, you must be, according to Acts chapter 2, you must be saved and you must be baptized. Those two requirements will allow you then membership into a local church. And we'll talk more about baptism in more detail lately or in, in later. You know, we have a high view of the, of the local church. And we, we don't just assume it's whatever you, can, or whatever you want it to be. And I think that's gotten us in trouble. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, in the last 30 or 40 years, there have been a lot of, uh, like the Barna Institute, if you've heard of the Barna Institute or the Pew Research Institute, these organizations that come out and they poll uh, the average American or average churchgoers and, the, and, and they, they, get, they get an idea of what people expect out of a church or what people want out of a church. And I think it has caused problems in that 
um, then church leaders look at those, the poll results of those and say, okay, well, that's what they want. Well, let's tweak what we're doing so we can give them what they want. Or they go out in the neighborhoods, and this is a common thing as well, go out into the neighborhoods and ask people, what are you looking for in a church? And then give them what they want. And I'm not sure we have that license. Actually, I know we don't have that license. The New Testament clearly defines these things for us. And we should take our role, uh, we have a biblical view of the church, and therefore we should take our, our view of the church and let it affect our role in the church. If I have a high view of, of the local church, then I will, I will be serious about my attendance. If I have a high view of the local church, I'll be serious about how engaged I am. I'll be serious about how much I pray. I'll be serious about how involved, how much I serve. I'll be serious about how much I, I support it in giving. I'll, I'll be serious in how I invest in it. And I believe that having a high view, a biblical view of the local church will, will make us better disciples. Uh, we're not just allowing ourselves to do it however we want. No, God the Lord gives us a very clearly defined look into the New Testament church. And if we have a high view of it, we'll be more serious about it. And we looked last time at the mission of the church. And the mission of the church starts with evangelism. Uh, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, in, we'll start in verse 18. Look what he, look what he told the, this first church in Jerusalem. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is called the what? It's called the Great Commission. This is the mission of the church, that first church there in Jerusalem. This was their mission. This is what Jesus commissioned them to go out and do. And the last time we were in this series, I was asking, when's the last time that you talked to somebody about Christ? And, and it's, it's very interesting because little did I know at that exact moment that uh, one of our church members was presenting the gospel to somebody that they had come across. And uh, I was talking to Brother Wade Chambers called me that night and, uh, and he was excited. I could tell it in his voice. He was excited. And the, and I wanted to be like, why weren't you at church? That was my first response. But then when I heard his voice, I could tell something good had happened. Because while I was preaching about having conversations about Jesus Christ, Wade, Wade had met a man that had done had their car worked on there at the garage. And Wade had started talking to him about Jesus Christ. And he had a conversation that lasted, I don't know how long exactly. Um, if you know Brother Wade, it could have been a while, you know. But he had a long conversation with this man. What was his name, Brother Wade? Eric? Yep, Eric. Right there at the garage. And by the end of that conversation, um, Eric placed his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. You know, that's exactly. Praise the Lord. You know, we're, we're talking about to have a conversation about Jesus. And honestly, we should, have, we should think about a way to talk about Jesus everywhere we go. You know, that chorus, let's talk about Jesus. I mean, really, that should be on our minds all the time. That Jesus Christ is the, he is the center of the gospel. His, the message of Christ is the central message of the gospel. And we've got to make sure that that is part of our lives. We, 
Uh, we, in Acts chapter 5, we read this last time, and it says, and, and they, daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I mean, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus Christ was talking to those, those disciples, and it says that from Moses and the law, he expounded, and he talked about himself. Jesus Christ is the central message of the gospel. And we, we just, we've got to make sure that's on our minds and that it's on our lips because the Great Commission is our purpose. And as a church, listen, you could say, well, as a church, we need to fulfill the Great Commission. But you realize the church is made of what? Pews and wood. No, no, it's made of people. And so it's not Eastside's purpose. We need to personalize it. It is your purpose. It is my purpose to have conversations about Jesus Christ wherever you go. And you say, I don't know the Romans road. You can talk about Jesus. You can tell somebody your testimony. You can. So evangelism, that's, that's the central message here. He says, go ye therefore. And then he's in teach all nations. And then he says, baptizing them. So baptism is the next, the next part that we looked at last time. Baptism, the immersion of a believer into water. To be baptized is to publicly profess salvation in Jesus Christ. It's to identify with a local church beliefs. Baptism follows conversion. If you read in Acts chapter 2, as I've already mentioned. And we're going to deal with it likely later. But, but suffice it to say that a significant and essential part of our doctrine is baptism. It always has been. I mean, in case you never put the two together, it's kind of in the name, Baptist. Now, we don't believe that baptism um, helps a person in their salvation. We believe that it's an expression of salvation. The illustration I like to use is if, you know, my, I've got a ring on my finger and it doesn't, it, it didn't make me married, but it, it lets people know that I am married. I was, I was married on one day when I made vows before God and, I, and, and my wife and I said those vows and, and we sealed it with a kiss and that was still a good memory for me. I'm not sure what she thought about it, but then I got a ring and put it on and, and it didn't, that ring didn't make me married, but it let people know. You know, baptism is a profession. It is a public profession. And so, when, so I'm asking then, if, if evangelism, I'm asking then, so when's the last time you had a, question, a conversation about Christ with somebody outside these church walls? Well, when it comes to baptism, we're just kind of measuring if we're doing well in our purpose. When's the last time that somebody that you won or you brought to Christ stirred the, baptist, the baptism waters? When's the last time that you saw somebody up here and they were there um, because God used you in their life to do it? Um, discipleship is the third part. So we've got evangelism, baptism, discipleship. Jesus Christ said here, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's our role. Our mission as a church is not done just because a person receives Christ and stirs the baptistry waters. At, just like the early church, we have a responsibility to teach them the apostles' doctrine, to teach them what Jesus Christ taught. So have you ever mentored another believer to grow in Christ? And I know we're starting that process right, even right now in our church, but, but do you have a heart for it? Could you take Christ's teachings and help somebody grow in them? The final part of the mission of the church that we looked at last time is, the, is church planting. And Eastside Baptist Church has, has a responsibility to reproduce herself. As souls are won and baptized and taught, discipled, churches must be planted um, where the converts are. 
And I believe it's time for us to think about that again and take that process seriously. When Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't saying that the Jerusalem church would never cease to exist. No, he was saying that the church that he started, that local New Testament church as an institution would never cease, that it would perpetuate itself. It's always been in existence. He made that promise. And so we have a, so it's here still because people have taken that responsibility seriously. From that very first church in Jerusalem, people planted churches from that church and continued and continued. And we still have churches like we have right here because way back when people took church planting seriously. So I'm asking tonight, who will be the next member of Eastside that God calls to, to plant a church? Or to help plant a church, to carry the gospel to another community. And, and many people here drive distances to come to Eastside Baptist in Sioux Falls. And I'm thankful that you do. But if you drive any distance at all and, and there's a group of people uh, in your town that you think could be reached. I mean, I just wonder uh, if maybe Eastside should expand her footprint in our region. I mean, I just wonder maybe if God has more to do with church planting through Eastside Baptist Church. That's the crux of nature of the response and responsibility of the church. But I want to consider another part of this tonight. I started um, talking about the autonomy of the local church. And the New Testament uh, doesn't mandate or give, even give examples of church hierarchies. Meaning that the local church is self-governing. And if you look at the, the example of, of a local church, there are plenty of examples of this. I think of the, the uh, discipline of members in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you remember, there were those in the Corinthian church that were, that were not living right. They were living in sin. And Paul wrote to that church and he said, it's your responsibility uh, to purge out that old leaven. It's your responsibility uh, to, to deal with the member that's in sin. And when you gather together, he says, to even deliver that one that's in sin. Deliver them unto Satan so, so that they feel the separation and have a chance for restoration. And listen, when Paul wrote that to the church at Corinth, he wasn't saying, listen, we're going to send our, our ecclesiastical hierarchy to come and preside over that proceeding um, and help you figure out what to do with that church member that's living in sin. No, he said, it's your responsibility. He said, when you gather together, it's your responsibility to purge out the old leaven. Uh, he didn't give uh, some, the governing of a church to some higher, um, higher group. It, also, if you think about the election of officers in Acts chapter 6. And you can look these up later. We're not going to look at all of them. But uh, he says in Acts 6, 3... Um, Acts 6, 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So when, when there was a need to take care of the widows in that first Jerusalem church that was just exploding and getting so big, and there was neglect of the widows, um, then, then they, the elders, the leaders of the church, they went to the church and they said, Brethren, look you out seven men of honest report that are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And then it says, whom we may appoint over this business. You notice they didn't say, uh, we're going to call uh, some group from outside of our church to come in and try to fix this problem for us. No, they dealt with it internally. It was a, it was a church issue. It was a church matter. And I, I do love 
um, the way that it works together. They said, uh, they said, brethren, you choose these men and we'll appoint these men. I do think that there's a good combination there. We're not told how to deal with it. And, you know, every time you have a church business meeting, there's a cause for offense or You know, there's things that aren't done the way that everybody likes them. You know, there's not really, we're not told exactly how to do that. And and so you just have to kind of go through it the best way that you can. I, I, I think the right way to do that is to give, because the elders or the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they said, choose you, and they chose, and they said, and that we may appoint. So we give you an opportunity to, to give names and, and recommend men, um, and then um, through prayer and seeking the Lord, then those men are, are presented in, as deacons or trustees. You know, that's, why, that's why we do it the way we do it. And you say, well, I just don't think it's done the right way. Well, when you find out in the Bible exactly how we're supposed to take church elections and make them happen, then you show it to me because it's, it's hard to find. So sometimes you just have to do it the best way you can. And that's why we do it the way that we do. But it's not some outside church coming in and telling us who to have as deacons. He says it's, you know, it's the church's responsibility. So you've got these examples of, of self-governing churches. The other is as the association with other churches. In Acts 15, um, there's this issue with, with, with men saying that you have to be circumcised to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas come to Jerusalem. They all come together and, and they start talking about this issue. Um, but, but I think there is an association. We're allowed to have associations with other churches. It's healthy. It's good for us. Um, and association, though, doesn't mean a hierarchy. I mean, if you've got something that you need to deal with and you want to counsel another church as a pastor, if I called another church, that's perfectly acceptable. But no one comes in and says, well, this is how you should do it at Eastside Baptist Church. Because we're autonomous. We're, we're self-governing. And, and that is a unique position, especially when you consider the way that other denominations or churches are run. But there isn't a higher authority uh, than an assembly of believers and their pastor meeting to transact business. There's no higher authority than that, according to the New Testament. There's not a, a higher ecclesiastical authority than the local church. A church body is administered by a pastor and representatives that are elected from its own members and the members themselves. It's not some outside source that comes in and fixes our problems. We've got plenty of problems and we're going to have to fix them on our own, okay? Just to be an encouragement. That was meant to be a joke, but didn't come across right. This is what we mean by the term autonomous. or self, It means self-governing. See, autonomous means... Uh, let me just give you some, some words that autonomous means. It means independent. Um, now, and I like the fact that as, as a Baptist church, we're an independent Baptist church. And that, that is because we believe the things that, that we're teaching tonight. But it doesn't mean that we're independent of God. It doesn't mean that we operate outside any authority. You know, we operate under New Testament uh, church uh, policy and authority. That's how we operate. We're not independent of God. We're, all, we're not independent of each other. And we're also not independent of sister churches that believe like we do. See, listen, there's one issue, I think, sometimes of independent Baptist churches in that they think that independent means isolated. It doesn't have to be isolated. Sometimes that becomes a danger in that we think, well, we're independent. And we're not allowed to be around any other churches. Well, that's just silly. And it's not part of the New Testament, uh, the New Testament pattern either. There, were, there was plenty of cooperation among churches of like faith and practice in the New Testament. So there are some nuances, though, to self-governance. See, the church, the church isn't subject to any group within our body either. 
Meaning, see, we're a body, but we're not governed by an internal pockets or internal organizations. And I, I think you can get into this in, in a lot of ways. The, no, no ministry of this church runs this church. There's not a group or a set of internal, uh, an internal pocket of, of organ, or organization that, that kind of tells everybody else what to do. That's why I think, you know, I do think there's a danger in, in you've probably heard this before, being a deacon-run church. You know, deacons aren't there to lord over everybody. Deacons are there, according to Acts 6, they're there to serve. And they're not some hierarchy, and, and they're, they're there to serve. And I'm thankful we have, a, a, we have deacons that have a spirit of servitude. It's, I'm grateful for it. Um, there's no ministry of this church that runs the church. You know, I've seen that happen in churches even with the youth group. And the youth group, the trends of the youth group kind of determine what direction the church goes. And that seems, I love our young people. That doesn't seem like a wise way to run a church. People with not much life experience deciding what direction it takes. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this as well, and just to give you some insight um, into it. I, I, I love a youth group, and I love a, a strong group of young people. But I don't want to get to the place where our young people are doing their own thing one place, and the church is doing their, uh, their own thing somewhere else. And I think the young people of our church, that's the reason... That when I came, and we, we may change this at some point, that I, when I came, I brought the young people into, into the room on Wednesday nights because um, they're part of the church family. I don't want there to ever become a situation where there's one organization over here doing its thing and another over here. And I know that's not as fun for the young people, um, but, but that's not really what it's all about. We're trying to make disciples, build disciples. And we may move back to that sometime, but just so you understand a little bit of my thinking behind it, you know, if you, this, this church used to have a Christian school. I've known churches that the Christian school kind of determines how everything goes. Uh, it, you know, internal, uh, an internal hierarchy can happen. It can happen with a group of strong personalities. You know, I've seen it, and I know, I know pastors that deal with this regularly it can even happen with when certain family members have strong personalities and that family kind of becomes its own unit and they're kind of deciding how things go. You know, we're, if we're independent, we are autonomous. It's not just from the outside, it's also from the inside. We're a, church, we're a body. There's not one pocket that kind of steers the whole boat and we're all kind of, you know, fitting that. We're also not subject to any group outside of us. Obviously, we don't belong to a denomination or an association or a fellowship. The local church is sovereign in its business and function. And we're also not subject to the state. You know, we're, we, I mean, like Jesus Christ said, render therefore unto Caesar that the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And one thing that we need to understand is there are things to render to, to Caesar and it's okay. Jesus Christ said it is. You know, we, we want to be careful not to have a rebellious spirit toward the authorities that God has put in our lives. Uh, there is a balance to that as well, though, we all know. See, right now, it's a pivotal time in our country's history. And, you know, I've been reading even things recently, and I know this can be controversial, but, uh, you know, things like the Equality Act that are being promoted in Congress, which would, which would make it illegal to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity. And, and as a church, they're not exempting uh, churches just simply because they believe the Bible. 
Uh, I was reading this. I mean, this really could uh, eventually put our church at risk for lawsuit or or discrimination or um, be targeted for our beliefs. And the pressure has caused others to shift with the culture. I read an article even just today uh, that said one lesson of history is that religious beliefs evolve in response to changing cultural attitudes. Okay, this is, of course, a secular, uh, secular author. They say the transformation in part reflects altered interpretations of scripture and tradition. Theological discussions around issues of marriage and sexuality reflect this trend. What they're saying is we all know it's always worked this way that, you know, religious beliefs just shift with the culture. And first, I'm wondering what history books they're reading. You know, because independent Baptists, that's not how we've, we've operated. I mean, some may have, but in history, that's not how we've done it. Um, it, it, it happened, it's happened enough that a secular author thinks religious beliefs are adjustable. He's seen it enough. Well, second, any movement that shifts that easily, there's no telling where it ends up. I mean, there's no, there's no end to that. That's why even right now, many, many mainline denominations and groups actually now stand in support of things like the Equality Act. And listen, I am not saying that I devalue the life of somebody that makes a different choice than me. Uh, That's not the point at all, because I know that God loves every soul. Every life matters to God. But I make choices sometimes that are against God's word, and that doesn't allow me to excuse it simply because it's what I I would like to do any more than it would somebody else. Listen, we have God's word, and if God doesn't change, then his revelation of himself doesn't change. Therefore, even if the culture shifts, the scriptures don't shift. It doesn't change. And if one day, listen, if the government threatens us because of our stand, I pray that we stand with God's word. I mean, like Peter said in Acts 5, he said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And I hope, and I know people may be watching, and, and we have guests, and I hope that you understand in my spirit, I'm not saying that any soul is less important than another soul. But God does have his standards of holiness, and he doesn't exempt us from following them simply because of our preferences. So when we get to the place someday, if we're ever explicitly told to do something that contradicts God's word, It's my prayer that we're going to obey the Bible no matter the cost or consequence. And I can't say exactly how we'll we'll be in in those moments, but, but if we believe this like we say that we do, then even if the culture shifts, this word never changes. And we stay right where we are. Autonomous means independent. Autonomy also means self-supporting. You knew I'd talk about giving, didn't you, tonight? Each church is responsible for its own financial support. I was, I was thinking about uh, just adding up how much this church has given to the work of God just since I've been the pastor. And, I mean, it, it, it's not that much different since f- from before I was pastor, but I'm telling you, I mean, millions of dollars. I mean, it's, it's amazing how generous and uh, your giving is. It's incredible. And it goes toward our ministry, it goes toward our building, it goes toward our ministries and our missions and building and maintenance and salaries and insurance and and ministry costs and Sunday school supplies and utilities and missions and church planning and repairs. I mean, all these other projects, all of those expenses are supported through your giving. 
I mean, that, it, it's pretty amazing. You know, nobody, nobody comes from the outside with support and says, okay, here's the money for you, and we're, we're splitting it up among all these churches, and then here it is, and now here's how you're going to spend it. No, we, we support it, and we decide how it's invested. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, because we believe that the New Testament pattern is that a church, once it can be, that it is self-supporting. And it can only happen through faithful giving. Uh, we might do fundraisers for the youth or things like that. But the daily ministry, the, the, the regular continual ministry happens because of faithful giving. So autonomy means independent. It means self-supporting. It also means self-propagating. Self-propagating. Now to propagate means to spread or grow uh, through new local New Testament churches. We've already talked about this, and I don't want to spend lots and lots of time on it, but I just want to remind you again, it's our responsibility to reproduce churches like this one. We have a responsibility. We can support others who do it, but we ought to be involved in more than just giving toward it. I believe God wants to use somebody in our church to actually go do it. I don't know who that might be. I mean, I don't know if, it, if God's ever laid that on your heart or you, you have a community in mind or maybe a place you grew up in and they need a church and you'd like to try to help see something happen. Listen, I'm not trying to manufacture it, uh, but that's how churches get planted. The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of people and, and, and then through their local church, they're the authority of their church, then, then it's propagated, it's, it's spread, it grows. That propagation happens when people have a heart for the Great Commission and a burden for souls. And so, we, you know, honestly, if we, don't, if we don't grow, we don't survive. If we don't expand, we don't continue. As somebody said it this way, we evangelize or we fossilize. I like that. You know, we helped the Ruckmans start Falls International a couple of years ago, but what's next? So where, where's the next wave of laborers that God's going to use to plant churches in our state? I was looking up just this week a, a map of the United States and, and the number of counties that have no independent Baptist churches. And in that, that, on that map, it was red if they didn't have one. And our part of the country was by far the reddest part of the country in terms of the least reached with independent Baptist churches. And, you know, you think about it, if someone wasn't willing to step out and help Eastside start years ago, this wouldn't be here. And whatever church started that one, that church wouldn't be there. You know, you go all the way back, and if way back when there was somebody who just didn't have, there was a time where nobody had a heart to go out and plant a church and reach people in a new community, there wouldn't be a church like this here. Now, we know God said, Christ said the gates of hell should not prevail against it, but that requires people stepping out by faith. So could God be calling you to invest your life? I think about looking at these young men in, in here. Could God be calling you to invest your life? in the propagation of New Testament churches. You say, well, I just wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to lose people from our church. Well, listen, it's not losing, it's multiplication. I mean, if somebody ever left, a family said, listen, we're leaving, we're going to start a church. Well, at first I'd say, hallelujah, you're leaving for a good reason. That's a blessing. But I'd say, second, we're multiplying ourselves. And someday in 10 years, if that church starts a church, I mean, can you imagine Start covering this part of the country. So uh, I'm going to shift here a little bit as we wrap it up. How do we then have such confidence in this? 
Well, obviously the scripture gives us confidence. The primary thought that gives us this confidence, though, is this. You know, all these things that we have, we're autonomous, we're independent, we're self-propagating, we're self-supporting, all these things. Well, the reason we can have confidence in that is that is because we get our authority from Jesus Christ, that, who he is the head of the church. Meaning, we're not waiting on somebody else to come along and tell us how to operate. No, we answer to Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he says, and I'm going to give it to this, this organization, and then they'll send you out. No, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What does he say then? Go ye therefore. There was a transfer. He said, all this power, all this authority that I have from God to start and plant no, local New Testament churches. Listen, it's now given, I'm giving it directly to you, to those, those apostles. And those apostles, those, those 11 or 12, they literally went out and, and we're here because way back when somewhere um, an apostle planted a church somewhere and you can go right back down the line. Listen, that transfer indicates that Christ was giving the New Testament church the authority to carry on the work he started. And that's why, folks, that we don't say, um, you know, we, that's why we don't say, well, we go back to the Protestant movement in the 1500s. That's where we got our start. No, we go back to the New Testament church movement in, when Jesus Christ started that first church. And we say, no, we go back all the way there. And we may, don't have, we may, may not have the paperwork, but uh, we believe that that, perpet, that perpetuity, perpetuity um, lingers today. And that institution has never ceased. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he said. So when we find a church that closely resembles the apostles' doctrine and their function and their fellowship, I think that's how you end up at an independent Baptist church. But my primary point is even about all of that. It's, it's about the fact that we have our authority from Christ. We answer to him as our head. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Let me look, let's show you a couple of verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. So this is, uh, this is really instructions for a marriage relationship. And um, verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 1, just a little bit to the right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. It's talking about Jesus Christ in this passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And it says, and he, who's that talking about? Jesus Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. Listen, while it is true that the church has officers, these officers, deacons, trustees, even the pastor, they're not the ultimate authority. The pastor has authority to lead, but even that is delegated to him from Jesus Christ. As the writer in Hebrews said, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So listen, a pastor, your pastor, gives account to Jesus Christ himself. And I, as an independent Baptist church, as an autonomous church, as, a, as what we try to be, an authentic New Testament local church, um, I don't answer 
to some other organization out there, I will someday stand before Jesus Christ and I will give account as your pastor. And if it ever dawned on you that this is a serious responsibility, I hope that helps you understand it. And I'm not saying that I do it perfectly. I don't even know that I do it well, but, but nobody else in your life right now will stand before Jesus Christ and give account for you. Which means that, that I, my ultimate responsibility as your pastor is to help prepare you for the judgment seat. And I, I, mean, I could give you some philosophy about it, and I will eventually someday get into that more. But that's why there will be times where if I feel like God is leading me to tell you something, even if, it, even if you don't like what I have to say, understand it's because in that moment I'm thinking, okay, what's the best thing for me to do for them right now? And, and if I'm going to give account to Jesus Christ, I have to have, I'm going to stand before him and answer to him for you, for you, for your souls. Watch for your souls. And there will be times that a pastor has to, has to be honest in some ways that he doesn't necessarily want to be. And you have to give him room to do that. I'm not saying that you give me room to be carnal or be in the flesh or be mean about it. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not even asking you to give me license, but would you give me freedom at times as the one person in your life who will stand before God and give account for your soul? Would you give me freedom at times to do that for you? And that's not even what I was meant to talk about, but, but I do think that's important for me to say. And it seems a little bit self-promoting, and that's not my point tonight. But listen, when, when I, give, I give account to Christ because Christ is the head of the church. When his, when his word is preached, his headship is being exercised. And a pastor's not respected. Listen, you don't respect me because of the person. That's not even it. You respect this position because it's a position that God placed in your life. And when a pastor preaches from this pulpit or counsels you from God's word, your response is not just your response to your pastor. And I want to make sure this comes across the right way. You're responding to the position God established in your life. And you don't view me as God, but you, but you should view this position as a position that God has set up in your life. Because Christ is the head of the church. And listen, we don't answer to religious denominations. We don't answer, answer to civil, civil government. We don't answer to religious council. We don't answer to another church. Christ is our head. And it doesn't mean we don't cooperate with other churches or, or you know, to seek to further the gospel. The key, but the kingdom of God is bigger than Eastside Baptist Church. There are times where we might work together with other churches, and that's a biblical pattern. But when it comes to your life uh, before God, uh, you, I answer to God as one that gives account. And I just pray that you would be willing and open when God allows that, that position, that relationship to, to go into some things in your life that you'd be open to those. Look, here's the point though. We, we get our authority from Christ and there we answer directly to him. This has been a Baptist distinctive for a long time. And as someone else wrote, each church has the absolute right of self-government free from interference of any hierarchy of individuals or organizations, that the one and only head of each church is not the pastor, it's not the deacon board, it's not the strongest personalities. No, the one and only head of each church is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. 
And that is that it is scriptural for churches of like faith in order to cooperate and come together with each other and contend for the faith for the furtherance of the gospel, but that every church is the sole and only judge of measure of me- and method of its cooperation. In other words, we decide. And that in all matters of membership, policy, government, discipline, and benevolence, the free will of the church is final. And I like the way that's stated. And that's why we're independent Baptists. It's not because we're rebellious. It's because we, we're trying to believe the Bible and operate by it. So what does it look like? Well, okay, I'm just going to go back through some of these and ask a couple of questions. Okay, so we talked about how a church is not governed by internal influences. So if we're, if we're autonomous, that means even rising up from within our ranks. We're not governed by internal influence. Let me ask you this. Um, that means we're not run from a group from within or without. But one of the ways an internal hierarchy tends to form is when people have a kingdom mentality toward their ministries. Meaning, nobody touches this, this is mine. And nobody tells me what to do, this is mine. I've been doing this a long time. It's my classroom. It, those are my, the kingdom mentality. And, you know, if something happens and, and I, I'm not flexible, I will not adjust. This is not the way I've ever done it. They'll let you know when something isn't to their liking. You know, I'm thankful we don't, I don't see that. Really, I don't see that. But it, it's easy to get there, isn't it? It's amazing how attitudes like that become a straitjacket to a church's purpose and unity. And we just need to remember, we're, no, we're just part of the bigger picture. And we submit to the body. Uh, we, we don't always have to get our way. And I know that's hard, but there should be no force or influence. Listen, we claim autonomy in that we don't allow outside influences to come in and tell us what to do, bless God. And yet within a church that's very strong saying that there are pockets of internal hierarchies. And everyone kind of walks on eggshells. Trying to make sure that, you know, we don't rock the boat in these areas. That's not the way a church should be run either. In many ways, it's the same as letting an outside influence come in and determine how we run things. You know, we're, we're all in this together and there's no one person bigger than the whole. And I know it's hard, but that will, that will stop us dead in our tracks of, of fulfilling our church's purpose. Be careful of having a kingdom mentality. Uh, another is that we talked about is that autonomy means that we don't answer to government in matters of scripture. So let me ask you this. Would you be willing to stand for the Bible in the face of opposition? And, and say, I think I would. I, yeah, I pray. I, I think I would be able to do that. Um, well, listen, you probably won't have a strong stand on God's word if you don't invest in your life in knowing it. Because when the rubber meets the road... And a question pops in your mind is like, how much do I really believe this? Then you likely won't remain standing. So if you want to remain standing someday when government comes in or an outside influence comes in and there's persecution, which there's already a persecution in our country toward churches going on. So when it shows up at your doorstep, how committed are you to knowing God's word so that when it happens, you'll be able to stand in the face of that kind of pressure? Another part of autonomy is self-supporting. So I'm asking, are you contributing? Are you a giver? Are you a giver? See, because a lot of times people kind of ride the wave. They ride the coattails of everyone else that's faithfully giving. But if you're a member and you are coming and actively involved and you have a way to give, part of your responsibility is that tithe. 
and that missions and that building fund. I mean, get involved in it. It's one mindset. Be, and, you know, there, be careful, though, in giving to assume that now you have a right to determine how everything gets spent. That can cause a lot of disunity in a church, too. You know, it does put us in a pickle sometimes when people give to the church and say, well, I want this to go here, and I want this to go here, and I want this to go here. That's why a lot of churches just say there's, this, is not, there's, this really isn't binding. You can make a suggestion. Um, but if, if that was the way it always worked, I mean, there'd be however many people in this room choosing what matters to them the most. You know, you elect, you elect leaders, and you put them in a position to make those decisions. And it's, it's kind of like in a family. You know, if you, you say, well, we want everyone has equal say. And so, but what do you think my two-year-old is going to say when I ask him what to do with this $500? Probably not something that's going to be very productive for our family. And, and so what I'm saying is not to, not to diss anybody in that, um, but if everyone has a say and everybody's got a, kind of got a dog in the fight, it tends to lead to confusion. And not everybody has the same mindset or the same maturity when it comes to it. So I'm asking you just obey in the self in the in the process of supporting and giving and then trust the the people that you have put into place to make the wise decisions for that. That's the that really is the best way for it to operate. And listen, you can you can look we we make our our giving um or our spending we make that available if you uh if you want to look at it and you've got questions about things that's perfectly fine. Um, just understand, you know how that would be in your family if everyone had equal say. It'd be hard. And so just trust the leadership. Trust the process. Trust the way that God set it up because it really does work if we're all willing to just submit to the roles that we have. And then the last application, Christ is the head. But the pastor is the under-shepherd who gives account. So how's your spirit of obedience and this is hard for me to talk about. How's your spirit of obedience and submission when it comes to your pastor? Because I can tell you this, um, if, if his faults are glaring to you, I can promise you they're more magnified in his mind than they probably are in yours. And he knows he's not perfect, nor does he, have, he deserve any special treatment of his own accord. But nobody else in your life answers directly to God on your account. And, and no one else in your life right now is striving to prepare you for the judgment seat. So your spirit toward a pastor has a lot riding on it. So don't, down, don't downplay the position. And I, this is not for my sake. I pray to God that my spirit comes across right tonight. This is not for my sake. This is for yours. Because how you stand before Christ is, is largely dependent on how you submit to the spiritual authorities that he's placed in your life. So once again, I, I know there's a lot of information there. I hope you're seeing how our positions should affect our operations. Don't let anybody tell you that positions don't impact practice. Belief impacts behavior. Your view of the, these things make a practical difference. Because the higher you view the local church, the more committed you'll be to it. Your view on autonomy of the local church, it will affect how, you operate, how we operate with each other. 
I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll affect our, the kingdoms that we build. It will affect how you deal with your pastor. It will affect um, how, you, how you view government. It'll affect how committed you are to giving. It'll affect how serious you are about the Great Commission. So don't, don't let anyone tell you that knowing doctrine or knowing why we do what we do doesn't impact you tomorrow because it does. It should make a difference. Knowing that we have such a high elevated view of, of God's church will make us better disciples. And that's why we go through some things like this. It's not just because it's not information we just want to put in our heads. No, we want, to, we want this to affect how we, how we live tomorrow. And I think if we respond correctly, it certainly will. Uh, now we're going to have an invitation, so let's stand together. Um, and I don't know exactly the best way to apply it, except that as I was preparing this, there were many points uh, the, along the way that I thought I need, to, I need a different viewpoint. Uh, even as the pastor, I'm not viewing that correctly. And Lord, would you help me be more serious in this area? If God's spoken to you in any area um, uh, toward your, in your uh, response to the local church, your response to your pastor, response to uh, the leadership, your response to the Great Commission, um, the, the kingdom mentality, there's a lot of application. Let's let God have his way. We're going to pray. And then the invitation will be open. Father, we come and humble ourselves before you. And I, I do pray that you would take these, uh, these almost more lessons, but I do pray that you'd help us to apply these lessons and that we would, it would affect how we operate. God, it should. It should make a difference. It should make a difference in our commitment level. It should make a difference in how much of a disciple we are. God, I, I also pray that you'd help even just the testimony of Brother Wade and Eric, that you'd help that to just stir in us the possibilities. That if we're open to your, to your leading, God, you can have us be a part of something really special in somebody's life. So God, just work as you will. Help us to apply it where we need. And I pray that you'd, your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.